Thank you for streaming the audio messages of the Fountain Church. I want to speak to you today from the subject of the right light. Look at your neighbor and say, the right light. Look at your other neighbor and say, you are in the right light. All right, would you pray with me? Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, I just ask in in this moment, God, that you would come, Holy Spirit, Lord, that I'd get out of the way, that every word from my mouth would be from your heart, God, that you would uh, help me to communicate clearly and boldly, and God, I pray that you'd help us to see you like we've never seen you before, to see your beauty, to see your glory, to see your majesty, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. 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 Well, this, this message has really been burning in my heart this week. Um, all of my messages that God begins to birth on the inside of me start to impact me before, and I'm preaching them to myself, and I'm allowing the Holy Spirit to work on the inside of me uh, so that I'm not just doing this. I want to make sure I'm doing this and this. And uh, I'm, I'm really, I feel like God wants to do something special, so I just would encourage you just to lean in. If there's any distractions or you just feel like maybe you had a long week and it was kind of crazy, and just set all that aside just for a couple of minutes and as we dive into this. Now, how many of you guys love taking pictures? Anybody love taking pictures? How many of you guys still take pictures all the time even though you don't like it? All right, some of you guys are just indifferent. All right. Well, I don't know if you knew, but in 2017, there's going to be about 14 trillion photos, digital photos that will be taken, and many of them will be uploaded to social media. 14 trillion. Now, how do you even fathom that? You know, I started to think when it comes to digital photos, back in the day, it wasn't as easy to take a picture, Right? I mean, you had to go through a series of, you had to put some film inside, you had to make sure that the battery, you had some AA batteries, and uh, yeah, I mean, there's so many different components, but today, via smartphone, almost everybody on the planet has a camera. Now, it's interesting because out of that 14 trillion, the majority of those digital photos will be taken by cell phones. Now, as, as simple as it is to pull out your phone and take a snapshot, it's also become a little bit more complex in our day. As technology has advanced, taking a simple picture, um, it's kind of lost a little bit of its essence because there's so many different options to choose from. Let me explain. Anybody ever hear of Instagram? Come on, somebody. You guys are on that all the time. <laughs> I don't care what age you are. You're on the Facebook or Instagram. Some of you guys are like, no, I would never. All right. Well, on Instagram, it's not always that instant anymore. Because as you go to upload a picture, you also get 24 filters that you can funnel your photo through to make sure that you're in the right light. Let me show you an example of my daughter, Hannah. I put together just a small video for you so you can see there's a lot of different photos when it comes to Instagram. You know how long it took me to make this video? 24 different filters. Now, this has people stressing out because what, what could have taken a couple seconds to snap a photo, they're, you know, 30 minutes later trying to find the right filter because it's going out to the public, and since it's going out to the public, we want to make sure we're in the right light because the one thing that we do know, for those of you guys on social media, is the right light can change the entire picture, can't it? 
And so if you see somebody stressed out on their phone, they probably didn't get into an argument. They're probably trying to find a filter. (laughs) And they're losing their mind. But it's true that light is so important when it comes to photography. So important. Matter of fact, if you were to ask a professional photographer, hey, what is the the most crucial element when you're taking pictures? And hands down, they would say, light. Because apart from light, the only thing you have is pitch black. Matter of fact, your phones are so smart today, they won't even let you take a picture when it's black. Because your phone recognizes that there's no form. Your, Your phone recognizes that there's something that's void. They, they can't capture the reality of an image. And so uh, the phone knows, hey, don't waste your time with what's formless, with, which is void, and with that which is dark. And, and this shouldn't really surprise us, because if, we, if I take you all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, we get a clear picture of what it's like to have the absence of light all the way back to the creation account. But listen, before, before I jump into the creation account, this is really important to get a hold of, is that, that the very word photography, let me show you what it looks like real quick. Photography. If you break down the word in the Greek, phos means light and graphics means draw. It, it simply means, photography simply means to draw with light. Because something happens when light is present, you can draw things on your camera. Your, your camera can capture the reality of those things. Now let's jump to Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. It says this. The earth was without form, and it was void. And darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. This is before God said, let there be light, formless, void and darkness. Now let's, let's dive into and look at what this, what, what this actually means. The word formless, or the, the without form, it comes from the word uh, wasteness. It, it, it comes with the, the notion that something is not finished or it's lacking in shape. If you dive deeper into the Hebrew, really um, underneath it all, it means, de- it means barren. There's nothing there. The word void is, is pretty simple to translate in Hebrew. It simply means empty. There's nothing there. It's void. It's empty. Now, these two words are so powerful in Scripture that many times they're used together. Almost, they almost made a proverb out of these two words because they, they, uh, they project such a strong meaning when they're used together. Form and void. Formless and void. We see it throughout the book of Jeremiah, throughout Isaiah, and really what it boils down to, uh, if you were to break these two words down and how they correspond together, you guys still with me? It means to be dreary and desolate. Now, dreary simply means to, to, to be depressed. There's an absence of life. And desolate, obviously, there's, it's still this, this barrenness, this, this absence, this emptiness. And so it shouldn't be to our surprise that in all of this formlessness, this void, and into darkness, it's in that place that God speaks in the next verse. I don't have it on the screen for you, but God speaks into that darkness, and he says, let there be light. And the moment that light came into being, all of a sudden things started to take shape and form, 
And then what did God started, start to do? He started to form, and then he started to fill the earth so that it was no longer empty. Now, this shouldn't be a surprise to us because when you and I are trying to take a picture in the dark and your phone doesn't let you and you're frustrated and you flip on the light, all of a sudden the light illuminates all of the images, all of the objects, everything that's real in that room. And you learn very quickly that both your eyes and your camera need light to function. Isn't that true? And you think about how, many, how much time people waste as they're filtering through Instagram, as they're trying to find the right filter, how much time people waste trying to find the right light. But, but truth of the matter, I'd propose to you that this just isn't an Instagram issue. This is, this, this is true for our life. Is that if you and I can find ourselves in the right light, it has the ability to change the entire picture of your life. It has the ability to change and alter your entire perspective and to illuminate reality that you didn't even know was there because you couldn't see before because it was dark. And you see, as we navigate in this I Am series, it's so special to my heart because once again, we're not looking at simply what Jesus has done and we're not simply looking at what people have said about him, but we're, we're, we're looking at Jesus and we're hearing who he declares that he is. And when, when we understand and we capture the reality of who he is, as we begin to see him in the right light, it changes everything. It changes the entire picture. That's why our theme verse for this series is written by, is, is author is the Lord using the Apostle Paul to write down 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. Now, Paul was a religious man who was walking in darkness. How many of you guys know just because you're walking religiously doesn't mean you're walking in reality? And he's a religious man walking in darkness. He meets Jesus, and the entire picture of his life changes. And he writes to us in 2 Corinthians 3.18. He says, and, and we all with an unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. Can I say this? Seeing him, Jesus, in the right light are being transformed into the same image, into his image, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Paul is saying, as we begin to see Jesus in the right light, and we begin to behold him, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit begins to transform us on the inside, and the image of our life, or the picture of our life, completely changes from our way um, to the, the, the real way of how life is supposed to be lived. I mean, this is huge. This is the antithesis of religion. Religion tries to change you from the outside in, but Paul's saying, no, no, if you can just behold his beauty, he's gonna begin to transform you, the Holy Spirit, from the inside out as you behold the glory of the Lord, the entire picture of your life can change forever. That's huge. And that's why it's so powerful and special that as we're looking at seeing Jesus in the right light, the statement that he, the I am statement that we're looking at today just rings so much more true. As in John chapter eight, let's look at this together. Jesus spoke again to the people and he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. 
Sounds pretty poetic, doesn't it? Beautiful. But it's about to get so rich. Are you guys ready for this? Because you got to understand where he's speaking this from. You got to understand the context of this passage to really understand what's happening here. So let me set the, the stage for you. We know from chapter 7, John chapter 7, verse 37, that it's the last night of the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths, and Jesus is in the temple courts, and he begins to cry out. Now, let me give you a, a quick little background of this, this Feast of Tabernacle or the Feast of Booths. Well, this was a celebration that the, Jews, that the Jewish people celebrate uh, to remember God's protection and provision as they journey through the wilderness. Now, if you're new to, to church, or maybe this is the first time experiencing anything like this, let me just help you understand that context a little bit, is that um, the, the journey through the wilderness is in between the time that God used Moses to part the Red Sea and 40 years in the wilderness until they actually entered into the promised land. And so what they would do in the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles is they would, uh, they would set up little tents. If you lived out in the countryside, you would set up uh, maybe a little makeshift tent outside of your home. If you lived more in the city, you would set up a tent on, on the flat part of your roof. And they would live in these tents for seven days to remember the journey, to remember that, that this, this was a temporary dwelling, that this was not going to be their home. That as they're passing through this wilderness, that God has something so much better for them. There's a promised land awaiting both here and then ultimately a promised land waiting to be with him forever in glory and in eternity. And we're just passing through. But how many of you guys know, sometimes, man, you got to go back and remember it's a journey. And then there would be a, a ceremony where they would uh, uh, pour water. So what would happen is the, the priest, the high priest would go to the pool of Siloam. I'm giving you guys a little background. Is that okay? He would go to the pool of Siloam and he would draw some water from the pool of Siloam and he would take it into the temple and pour it out onto the brazen altar as a reminder of God's provision for them as they're in a dry and desolate place that Moses struck the rock as God instructed him and water began to flow. But then there's another key element. And this is what changes this entire picture, if you can grasp this. Is that in the, the court of the women in the temple, there would be erected pillars, four of them, 75 feet tall. And on top of these four pillars were uh, what looked like to be a massive candelabra with oil lamps. And they would light these lamps, and it was a reminder of, of God's provision and protection that as they were journeying through the wilderness, the Bible says that God's presence in, in, in the form of a cloud would cover them by day, and then a pillar of fire would lead and direct them by night. That pillar of fire, it wasn't simply uh, uh, just uh, a, uh, a reflection of God's presence. It was actually God's presence, God going before them. And so what they would do is they would come to the temple, and they would light up all these candelabras. They said that it was so beautiful, it was so majestic, that it wouldn't only light up the temple, but the light would begin to overflow and light up the entire city. And it's the seventh night, and they're packing up, getting ready to blow out the candles. And you have to understand, for, for the people in this day, this wasn't an exciting time. It was actually a very dreary time. It was a very desolate time. And as they begin to blow out the, the lamps from the candelabra, the reality begin to set in again that their religious system is lacking form and lacking life because God is nowhere present in it. 
that there was a massive void inside of their hearts because they were longing to be filled, but there was nothing but emptiness, empty religion, vain repetition. And so as they blew out those candelabras, darkness once again penetrated the land, and it was almost as if to say, when, God? When are you going to do it again? When are you going to, where are you going to show up again? And it's in that moment, in the darkness, that Jesus begins to cry out in the midst of their formlessness, in the midst of, in the midst of their void, in the midst of their darkness, I am the light of the world. That he who follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. See, now, now when we hear that, we, we may say, well, it may raise some questions. What kind of light are you? LED? Flood? But in this context, there was no denying what Jesus was saying. What Jesus was saying was, hey, listen, I alone have the ability to form. I alone have the ability to fill. I alone, I am not simply a reflection of light. I am the source of life source of life. Jesus, looking at the crowd, I mean, you could imagine all the things that they were thinking and all the, 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 the commotion that was happening. The religious leaders knew exactly what he was saying, that Jesus in that moment was claiming to be God. He was saying, I am God. Now, light is so important, isn't it? But it's kind of tough because a lot of times we don't recognize um, the importance of light many times until it's gone. Isn't that true? Hashtag stub your toe in the dark. I, I, I've never understood why we get up in the middle of the night and rather than turning the light on, we just try to navigate in the dark. And then we stub our toe on something that somebody left out and we just go right to blaming them for what they left, but we don't look to ourselves and ask ourselves, why didn't you just turn on the light? Like, that just doesn't make sense, right? This, this last week, uh, the, the power went out in Pleasanton. And uh, so if you guys, you know, live locally, the, a big chunk of Pleasanton went out. And uh, my mom calls me. She said, hey, honey, how do I work this flashlight on the iPhone? And, uh, and she's like, because it's 8 o'clock, my power's not going to be turned on until 12, and i got to eat, and i got to take care of some basic, you know, essential necessities for life. And my first, my first thought was I explained to her, you know, how to, um, to turn on the flashlight. And in my second thought, I was like, thank you, Lord, because that's going to work great for Sunday. Um, <clears throat> some of you guys will catch that in the car. It's all good. But, but a lot of times we don't see the importance of light until it's gone. But, but, but light is so important. I mean, I mean, really think about the sun. The sun just simply isn't a commodity that we need. It's the very source of life. Like, without the sun, there's no vitamin D, and we'll all be sick. Plants can't grow. Fossil fuel can't be produced. And the list can go on and on and on. And Jesus comes on the scene and says, I'm not a reflection, and I'm not a commodity. I am the very source of life. I'm the very source. Now, it's interesting because... 
That's bittersweet. Let me explain. There's something that we all know about light. You guys ready for this? This is a super deep point. You ready? Is that light exposes darkness. Now, that's really, really cool because we love the fact that light exposes darkness, but isn't it true that we also hate the fact that light exposes darkness? Like, it's really cool when we want light to work in our favor, but then it's really not cool when light exposes some things that we'd rather keep hidden. I remember I was going, uh, I was 18 years old, and I went to Lake Berryessa, I think it was 4th of July, and I was out on a boat and a jet ski all day in a tank top with no sunblock. And I was drinking. I wasn't walking with Jesus. I'm sorry, Mom, wherever you're at. And, uh, and I was out all day. I mean, it, it, it was brutal. Now, my wife, you know, she's got that Latin blood. So in the, in the sun, she, she gets this thing. It's called tan, right? <laughs> so I tell my girls, because they got the same blood, and they get really tan and bronze in the sun. And so I look at them. I said, ladies, I said, we use sunblock, okay? I said, but here's the deal. You guys use sunblock for protection, and daddy uses it for survival, all right? And so I'm out in the sun all day, all day in the sun, and that light was so invasive. Light can be invasive, can't it? That it penetrated from one layer of my skin to another layer to another layer, Tell me why I had third-degree burns, had to go to the hospital, borderline heat stroke. <laughs> this is crazy. They put this white paste like I just came out of a burning fire all over my arms, wrapped me with gauze, and send me home. And I got my arms full of freckles to remind me that the sun can be invasive. Invasive. And so a lot of times, it, it, it was so uncomfortable. Many times the light is uncomfortable. And so we'd rather just stay away from the light. Light can be so uncomfortable, especially if you're used to living in darkness. And so when Jesus comes on the scene, he says, I am the light of the world. What Jesus was saying was, listen, everything you're trying to hide from yourself, from others, or from God, in my presence, it's all exposed. In my presence, there's nothing that you can do to hide. Now, that's really scary if you're comfortable living in the dark. And so a lot of times what we do is, without even knowing it, we kind of keep our distance from God because we're not sure if he wants to fry us. <laughs> there's this, like, we know, like, what the Bible says, but there's still this, like, I'm just not sure if he's gonna fry me or not. And so we kind of keep a distance from God because we don't want certain areas of our life to be exposed. And we, we kind of keep a little bit of a subtle distance because if I get too close, then he might start penetrating the layers. Now, it's bad enough to have the sun invasive and penetrating the layers of your skin, but how many of you guys know it can be a lot more scary when the light begins to penetrate layers of your heart? And go into those deep things that we wish that we could forget about, that we wish we could tuck away, that we don't want anybody to see, that we just want to keep away and keep hidden. And God says, man, in my presence, all that comes to life. And I heard this quote, and I think this quote really describes it really well. And it says this, is that we want enough light to see in the dark, 
but not so much where we're seen in our darkness. Isn't that true? Like, like we're cool with God being a nightlight. We just don't want him to be a bright light. Like, we're okay with, you know, passages out of the Bible where David says poetically, Lord, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Like, we're good with that. As long as the, the light stays on the ground. But once it starts getting in this vicinity, I don't know if I want to touch that light. But listen, if you're here today and light's uncomfortable for you, I get it. But there's another side of light. There's another side of light. And if you're taking notes, you can jot this down, that light not only exposes darkness, light also expels the darkness. See, this is awesome. Like, light will expose your sin, your brokenness, your pain, stuff that you wish you could leave alone, even some of your pride or, 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 um, or, or things that maybe you can cover up really, really well but you're still walking and living in a hypocrisy that maybe you think nobody sees. See, all that is exposed in light, but the beautiful picture is that light doesn't only expose our darkness, it expels it. Like, like when light steps in, the darkness has to flee. Come on. The darkness has to, it has to go. And so what Jesus was saying is this, listen, if I am the light of the world, Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but they will have the light of life. John is always connecting these two words, light and life. And it's something as the light of God begins to expose our darkness and expel it, in that place we start to find real life. We start to find what life is really about. So if you're taking notes, I want you to jot this down. You see, God's Jesus, his goal is not to fry you, but rather form you. Jesus wants to form you. He doesn't want to fry you. And I'm going to illustrate this in this last passage well, with, with a story that's found right before Jesus declares himself the light of the world. It's been placed right here, and I think it's fitting for us to look at. But I'm not going to have it on the screen because I want you to go there with me. I want you to imagine as we look at a woman who's caught in the very act of adultery. And we're gonna look in chapter eight, John chapter eight, verse three, and it says this. As he was speaking, the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. To put her, they, they put her in front of the crowd. So get this picture, I mean, she's caught in the act. She's probably out there naked, shameful. They wanna make sure she's humiliated. They wanna make sure that it's a demonstration. Now, scholars have debated because normally the law of Moses says that you need to bring both parties. So for whatever reason, it shows the motivation of these religious leaders. It really wasn't about justice. They were trying to trap Jesus as we see in just a moment. So their hearts were claiming the law, but they were really hypocritical and Jesus is about to expose that. But get that picture in your mind. As this woman is brought before the crowd, teacher, they said, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him, but Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. Then they kept demanding an answer, so he stooped down again and he said, all right, but let, who, let, one, let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Right? Even if you didn't grow up in church, you probably have heard that somewhere down the line. 
Then he stooped down and he wrote again in the dust. When his accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Isn't that how we like to use light? We love to use the light to expose others while hiding ourselves. I mean, come on. When, when's the, the, the last time that you're like, hey, just let me, let me open up and expose myself? It's a whole lot easier to expose others, isn't it? And this is a, a perfect example of, of, of the law of God without the love of God. It's the perfect example of using truth without love. And Jesus speaks into this moment, and it's funny because he doesn't say a, a, a thing until after he writes in the ground, and he says, you who are without sin, cast the first stone. But it's amazing to me that how people can come and expose others while they're hiding so much themselves. Now, it's amazing, but it doesn't surprise me because as your pastor, I've done the same thing. I've done the same thing. And they bring this woman to Jesus. Now, check this out. Lean in with me. We're almost done. They bring this woman to Jesus, and they're expecting the light to fry her. And Jesus says, I'm going to form you. They're expecting the light to consume her. And Jesus says, I'm going to cover her. And then he begins to bend down and draw in the dust of the earth. And this is really significant because nowhere do we see Jesus writing anything except in this moment. Many scholars believe there's so much you know, debate of what he wrote because we don't know. But many scholars kind of land in the place that he wrote the sins of everybody in the crowd as he's looking at them in their eyes, fornicator. Like, you really want to you really go there? All right. Greed. Pride. And then they're like, no, no, we still. And they said, okay, you want to go a little bit deeper? All right. But that wasn't what's, a, I, I, every time I've looked at this passage, I've always focused and wondered on what he said. But I saw something completely different this time. I thought maybe not just is it important to understand what he said, but I think it's just as important to understand the fact that he wrote. Because something happens when God writes. Something happens when God speaks, taking it all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. There was formlessness. There was a void. There was darkness. And all of a sudden, God speaks into that darkness. God speaks into that formlessness. God speaks into that void. Let there be light. And the entire picture changes. And so here Jesus is writing, and his word has the ability to shape and to form. His word has the ability to change the entire picture. And I thought, ladies and gentlemen, listen, his word has been changing the picture from the beginning. And his written word, listen, his written word still has the ability to change the picture today. And it got even thicker. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, as I was diving into this, says, For the word of God is alive, it's powerful. It's sharper than a two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our inmost thoughts and desires. And isn't that what happened in the beginning? That as soon as God said, let there be light, all of a sudden there was a separation between light and darkness. All of a sudden, things started to take form. 
And here this woman is expected to die. And he says, let me just write a couple things and we're about to change this entire picture. God doesn't want to fry you. He wants to form you. And if you've ever had a misunderstanding of God, if you ever had, you know, I wonder what God is like, I wonder, then you really need to lean into this next part. Because as God begins to shape us with his word, that's why the enemy tries to keep you so hard from not reading your Bibles. That's why the, the enemy works so hard for you to just kind of have this, this, this uh, uh, what do you call it, supplement diet of God's word rather than living and feasting on it. Because he knows it has the ability to change the entire picture. So he just wants to keep you away from that. And then you come to church and it's like, oh, you tell me to read my Bible again? Yeah. Because it has the ability to change the entire picture because it forms a second Timothy. Paul tells Timothy it has the ability um, to correct, to exhort, to rebuke. It has the ability to train. God's word begins to form us. And so there was a time where this cup was clay and this cup was flat and it had no form. It was, it was formless. It was void. It was dark. There was nothing that, you know, really could be used. It was dreary and desolate. There was no life. It was just kind of in a depressive state. Then all of a sudden, that, that master potter comes and he begins to form it in such a way. And then he puts it through a little bit of fire so it gets a little bit of shine, right? And he, and he, and he forms it in such a way. But he forms it not just so it can be formed and be planted somewhere. He forms it, if you're taking notes, you can jot this down. He doesn't just simply not want to fry you but form you, but he forms you because he wants to fill you. He wants to fill you. Because now it's like now you're in a position to receive some things. Now you're in a position to, he wants to do something useful. And I want you to lean into this next verse because now it's just Jesus and the woman and Jesus straightens up and he asks her, woman, don't ever talk to a lady like that in this culture, right? <laughs> woman, where are they? Where are they at? Picture this. It's still not over because Jesus is still there. And she's looking like, now, now think about this, the great I am. She's standing before the great I am, the light of the world, the very source of life, infinitely holy, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, all-powerful, all-knowing, all places at once. He's God, the one that holds the universe in his palm. She's standing before this one. If you, she's standing before God. So if you ever had a misconception of what God is like, just lean into this moment. Because it's not over. And he asked her, has anyone condemned you? And look what she says, her response. She says, no one, sir. And in these words, her cup is about to get filled. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. At this moment, he formed her. Everything lied barren, exposed. But now Jesus is expelling the darkness and he's filling her with his grace, with his mercy, with his forgiveness. Come on, with his holiness. Why do we say things like marriage wasn't meant to make you happy, it was meant to make you holy? I thought about that the other day and I was like, that's wrong. If you have a holy marriage, you will have a happy marriage. 
Like holiness and happiness aren't separated. Like holiness is some like daunt, starts religious thing. That's a lie. Purity and wholeness, he begins to fill her heart. You think that this changed her perspective of God a little bit? You think that next time she's found herself in darkness that she wants to run and hide? You think she'd rather just say, oh, I, I just don't know. He might want to fry me. She's like, no, every time I have darkness, I'm running to him. Every time I have darkness because he's going to form me and then he's going to fill me and the picture is going to totally change. Totally change. Then he says this. He says, go now and leave your life of sin. Now, ladies and gentlemen, this is the gospel. He says, go now and sin no more. Do you think he had to persuade her to follow him? Come on, like go do good. No, that's religion. Gospel says, I've accepted you. You've experienced my grace. I've forgiven you. See, Jesus wasn't nullifying the law. Jesus was fulfilling the law. And he's saying, listen, because of me, you, I'm going to fill you with my grace. I'm going to fill you with my forgiveness. I'm going to fill you. And from that place, listen, he didn't say go and just go, go back into your sin. He said, no, go now and leave your life of sin because you don't need it anymore. Because the darkness has been exposed. The darkness has been expelled. I started to form you. I filled you. Now you can follow. You can follow now. Not from a, a place of I have to, but from a place of gratitude, from a place of thanksgiving that says, I'll gladly leave my life of sin so that I can live in the light of this life that I'm experiencing right now. Do you guys catch that? Listen, this pattern, we never, get, we never graduate. If you're sitting here today and you're like, no, this is elementary, like, I already know. Be careful. Because I guarantee if Jesus was on the stage, he could look at every single one of us and start to draw on the ground again. See, we never get beyond this. This just becomes the rhythm of our life. God forming us, God filling us, and us following him with all of all that we are. And so last passage in closing, he says this. Look at 1 John. John always talking about light and life. You guys with me? He says, this message we have heard from him and declared to you that God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. Continue. If we claim to have fellowship with him, and yet we walk in darkness, we lie, and we do not live out the truth. What, what, what he's saying right here is he's saying, you want to know a great gauge of intimacy? You want to know a great gauge to see how close you're walking with the Lord? How comfortable are you in the light? How comfortable are you exposing your heart to the one who's able to form and fill? comfortable are you? He says, because if we walk in darkness, but we're like, we have the self-proclaimed, yeah, like I still have this relationship, but you're walking and living in darkness. John said, whoa, 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 don't deceive yourself. Don't do that. There's so much life waiting for you. And he goes on to say this. He says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. In other words, John is saying, listen, we're on a journey. This isn't our home. This isn't our home. But listen, he is faithful to provide and protect along this journey. And he's able to refresh you in, in, in all of the dryness and the desolation. And he's able to light 
the way. He is the light and he is the life. And what John is saying here is it's not that we're, we've arrived or we don't have any sin or we don't have any issues. Come on, somebody, we know that's not true. Or that we've moved beyond our failures or that there's no struggle. No, John's just saying, listen, we, we still have all those things, but we're not afraid of the light. We walk with the light. We live in the light. We don't run away from God. We run to him and allow him to expose us, allow him to expel the darkness, allow him to form us, fill us, and we continue to follow him. Why? Not because we're without sin, but because we have sunblock. Mic drop. (laughs) Because we have sunblock because of the blood of Jesus that allows us to enter boldly into his throne of grace because of what he has done for you and I. Ladies and gentlemen, you'll never get beyond this message. You should only get deeper into it as we walk in the light. So I leave you with one, one simple statement. I don't have three steps to heal your marriage this week. I don't have you know, one step to you know, transform your devotional life. But what I do have is I just want you to ask the Holy Spirit and invite the light of the world to be the light of your world. In Jesus' name.